Hello and welcome to Hugh's Joy of Food, a bite-sized podcast celebrating all that's amazing about everything edible, from the simplest snack to the fanciest feast. I'm Hugh Smithson-Wright, and this week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I get spoiled rotten for my birthday with lunch at the fabulous Fordwich Arms in Kent, advise a jalapeno-loving listener on whether there's such a thing as too much spice in Ask Hugel, and the beautiful biscuits from Artisan Baker's Biscuiteers are my treat of the week. Each week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I review a restaurant in some way, whether it's one I've eaten at recently, a takeaway, or a make-at-home meal kit. First, a disclaimer. My job as a restaurant PR and consultant means that I'm paid to promote the interests of the handful of restaurants I represent. If I feature a client on this podcast, I'll make that clear, like I do on my social media channels, and in all cases, I'll make it clear if all or any part of a meal I review was complimentary. You can rest assured that everywhere I review, I recommend. This show is about the joy of food, so if you're looking for vicious eviscerations, this probably isn't the podcast for you. With that out of the way, it's time for this week's review. It was my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and when my wonderful husband asked what I'd like to do for it, I said I'd like to go for a lovely lunch somewhere. Deciding that it would be nice also to get out of London for the day, I looked at my list and landed on the Fordwich Arms, a riverside pub with a Michelin-starred restaurant in Fordwich, Britain's smallest town, just outside Canterbury in Kent. I've been wanting to visit the Fordwich Arms ever since it was taken over in 2018 by a team led by Daniel Smith, a hugely talented young chef whose food had dazzled critics, Michelin and myself alike at the Clove Club in London. Early reviews, notably from The Guardian's Grace Dent, painted a picture of a lovely old pub in a beautiful setting, given a light facelift but otherwise unbuggered about with, now serving outstanding food, a fact recognised by the Fordwich Arms being awarded a Michelin star in the 2019 guide. I was sold. It just took turning 45 to actually get me there. Easily reached from London, barely an hour to Canterbury West from St Pancras on the high-speed line and then about 15 minutes in a cab, of which there's a plentiful supply at the station, the Fordwich Arms is a beautiful old red-brick building with leaded windows and a gabled roof. Stepping inside, you enter the bar area. There are some tables for dining here, but we were taken through to the smart wood-panelled dining room behind it, which, on balance, I preferred. There are two menus to choose from, a tasting menu of seven-ish courses. I say ish because there's also canapes and petit four, and oddly they count what they call bread service, but I just call bread as a course, or a la carte. Wanting to have different things rather than the same menu, we went for the a la carte, which, while concise, offered plenty of choice. We kicked off with two excellent ice-cold bone-dry martinis, with which we ordered half a dozen Jersey Rock oysters. Before the oysters came, though, we were treated to a trio of outstanding canapes, little cubes of breadcrumbed confit lamb topped with an intense mint jelly, which, Willy Wonka-like, tasted like an entire Sunday roast in just one bite, a bright, refreshing tomato consomme, and sea trout, cured on a warm salt rock, then tweezered onto a cracker daubed with lemon mayonnaise. The oysters, when they came, were wonderful, incredibly fresh, carefully shucked, and served with a mignonette, that's shallot vinegar, in which the shallots were minced rather than chopped, giving it a sauce-like consistency. Next came bread, which, as I mentioned earlier, is treated as a course in itself, rather than, well, 
just bread. And while this is a very recent chefy affectation, which I don't personally see the point of, the breads, a pillowy soft focaccia and a treacly rye bread, were, to be fair, absolutely remarkable. Or rather, the fats that came with the breads were remarkable. A wonderful salty churned butter and, get this, whipped smoked pork fat topped with tiny crumbs of crispy bacon. I've said before in praise of butter that bread exists as a vehicle for it, and I couldn't get enough of either into me. Dave chose for his starter duck liver parfait, which came as a neat drum of parfait topped with a cherry and beetroot jam and dusted with fuchsia pink dried cherry powder. Rich parfait, earthy beetroot and tart cherry made a lovely threesome both on the plate and piled onto the warm savoury doughnuts which came on the side. As a nod to my family in Norfolk, I went for Norfolk quail, which came as a gently poached breast with little petals of onion, crunchy hazelnuts and smoked potato, over which a vividly green sauce was poured, and a comfy leg on the side to be eaten like a lollipop. Not only was this a delicious and visually elegant dish, it was also a very generous size for a starter. I still managed not to leave the tiniest morsel of it, though. For my main course, I chose middle white suckling pig, something I can rarely resist when I see it on a menu, with apricot puree, confit carrot and a neat parcel of courgette wrapped in cabbage. I loved how this was presented. The suckling pig was hewn into bite-sized pieces of belly, jowl and shoulder. The puree was in artistic dots and the carrot was a neat lozenge. What was lovely about this was that because you couldn't really combine every element in one forkful, every mouthful was different, some sharper, some sweeter, some, well, piggier. Dave's blackface lamb rack was a very neatly trimmed two-bone rack served pink, which came with a little braised shoulder, asparagus, an Isle of white tomato. Like my meaty main course, this is very stylishly plated while also being hearty, important for a Cumbrian who likes both fine dining and proper portions. I finished with cheese, chosen from its own menu which allows you to order by individually priced piece to create your own cheese board. I chose creamy camembert-style Tunworth, lovely stinky Epoise from France, and Stitchelton, that wonderfully salty spreadable blue. The accompaniments were fairly simple, just some quince jelly and some nutty seeded biscuits and crackers, but were really all that was needed. Dave's dessert, a cherry, burnt vanilla and yoghurt tart, was much fancier. There's clearly a very talented pastry chef at work in the kitchen, something further evidenced by the delightful white chocolate and mango putty four we were given to finally round things off. Well, I say finally, but we actually finished with a couple of really good dark rum and maple espresso martinis in the bar. As you might expect from a pub this fancy, the drinks offering is really outstanding, not least the wine list, which impressed me with both its range and value. We enjoyed a cracking bottle of Rosso de Montalcino for £40. Apart from one little glitch, where our starters were served while we still had the remnants of our oysters and canapes on the table, service was impressive and very friendly. It straddled the delicate line between being as warm as you'd expect from a pub, but with the polish you'd expect of somewhere serving this standard of food and with a host of awards to its name. I can't tell you what the bill came to, because of course, this was my birthday present. But I can tell you that starters are all around £16, mains around 30 and desserts and cheese about 11 so you do the maths. I thought the Fordwich Arms was truly special. A pleasant and easy trip from London, a beautiful building and setting, and some really outstanding food and drinks at sensible prices. I hear that the same team have just opened another pub in nearby Bridge called, you've guessed it, the Bridge Arms, where the menu looks to be a little more pub-like. Now that I know how easy it is to get to, I'll certainly be checking that out too. 
and I don't think I'll be waiting until my next birthday to go back to the fabulous Fordwich Arms. For all information, visit Fordwich Arms, that's F-O-R-D-W-I-C-H arms dot co dot UK. Each week, I answer a listener's burning culinary question in Ask Hugel. This week's question comes from Dominic on the Isle of Wight, hello there in the Solent, who says, Hey Hugel, I love jalapenos. Like, really love them. I have them on and with everything. Breakfast, jalapenos. Pasta, jalapenos. A midnight snack as my lover leaves me because I'd interpreted spicing things up in the bedroom as jalapenos, jalapenos. But my question is, is there such a thing as too much spice? Should I be easing off the chilies, either a bit or altogether? Dominic, I am absolutely with you on loving jalapenos, those fiercely hot yet sweetly fruity chilli peppers that are a staple of Mexican and other South and Latin American cuisines. As well as using them as a topping or accompaniment for dishes like chilli con carne, I love adding a little finely chopped jalapeno to salads and dressings for extra zing, and I love the warm heat adding minced jalapenos gives to pasta sauces and soups. I remember vividly the first time I tasted them. Between finishing my A-levels and starting university, I took a job in a Mexican restaurant, quite the novelty for Dorset in 1994, and as part of our training we had to taste all of the food. I remember the thrilling heat of jalapeno as I bit into it for the first time, the initial fear that it would be too hot to handle, followed quickly by the realisation that the heat wasn't painful but exhilarating. We were told, and I've always trusted it as fact, that eating jalapenos releases endorphins, the feel-good hormones we also get from exercise, for example, and sex. So perhaps, Dom, your love of jalapenos has as much to do with actually liking the taste of them as with the fact that eating as many of them as you do releases the endorphin equivalent of having a few orgasms a day, which personally is the kind of diet I could very much get behind. But as to your question of whether there is such a thing as too much spice, I think the answer to that is that it really depends on an individual's preference and palate. Like that first time I tasted a jalapeno, sometimes I think people worry that food they've been told is spicy is going to be hot to the point of being uncomfortable or even painful. But this is a hangover from the mercifully behind us nowadays when world cuisines weren't particularly well represented in Britain, or at least not outside of bigger cities, and a culture emerged among men, and let's be honest, only men, of competing to see who could order and eat the hottest curry, because let's be honest, again, it was only curry. Taking Indian food as an example, and by Indian food I mean all the vast and varied differing regional cuisines of that vast and varied country – None of its dishes are designed to be so ferociously hot that eating them should be a challenge. Indeed, much Indian food isn't spicy at all, using aromatic herbs and fragrant spices like cumin and fenugreek over chilies and pepper. But because for decades blokes in Britain have demanded ever hotter curries to prove their machismo, so restaurants responded to the demand and the completely erroneous idea that spice equals pain unfortunately permeated the wider public's perception of what spicy meant. But no longer. In recent years, in addition to Mexican food, British palates have come to appreciate a much wider range of cuisines in which spice is a major player. 
A growing appreciation of regional Chinese cuisines has seen a surge in popularity, particularly for Sichuanese food, of which key ingredients like Sichuan peppercorns and Facing Heaven chilies create the numbing hot sensation known as mala, which listeners might remember I talked about in my review of the excellent Baozi Inn in a previous episode. South Korean food, largely unknown in Britain outside of a handful of enclaves with immigrant Korean populations until as recently as about 15 years ago, is now widely available, and its use of the hot red chilli paste gochujang creates dishes with a sweet, smoky but undeniably present heat, which I for one adore. I enjoyed a fantastic dinner with a friend recently at a new Korean pub in Soho called Hongdae Pocha, where a dish of vegetables and whelks in a fiery gochujang based sauce kept tricking us into thinking we'd had enough, but then reaching for more once the head rush had passed. The laksa at Mandy Yin's excellent Malaysian restaurant Sambal Shok in North London is famously ferociously hot, and also famously ferociously good. A milder version is available, but even that packs quite a punch. The trick with laksa I've found is not to try to cool down the dish, but to plan to cool down yourself, with beer if you drink or a cold soda if you don't, and abandon any embarrassment you might feel about sweating profusely in public and just let it happen. It's worth leaving with sodden clothes and a red face for the sheer thrill and pleasure the dish delivers. Do you remember, though, that if you genuinely don't like spicy food, or indeed can't eat it if, like my friend Felicity, you're actually allergic to chilli, It doesn't mean you can't enjoy any individual cuisine. I can't think of a single cuisine, or at least not one that I've tried, in which spice is present in every dish. All of the restaurants I've mentioned here have dishes on their menus which aren't spicy at all. And of course, when you're cooking at home, if a recipe calls for chilli or another ingredient which adds heat, you can control how much you add to adapt it to your taste. And if you then happen to find that you'd actually like the dish to be hotter, well, like you already do, Dominic, you can always add some heat by way of, for example, jalapenos. Which takes us neatly back to you, Dom, and your endorphin-generating jalapeno habit, which, I'm very happy to say, categorically, and for the record, is absolutely fine. If you'd like me to have a go at answering your food-related question, you can tweet me at hrwrite or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. For my final segment, Treat of the Week, each week I share something food or drink-related that's been putting a smile on my face. This week, it's the beautiful biscuits and baked treats from a lovely London-based company I'm very fond of called Biscuiteers. Did I mention that it was my birthday recently? Well, it was. And among many very kind and thoughtful gifts from friends and family, one of my favourites was a trio of treats from my friend Kate and her son Oscar, my godson, bought from Biscuiteers. Seeing the distinctive sturdy white and black illustrated cardboard boxes, I knew that what was within was going to be wonderful, but it was still a joy to open them one by one and find out what was inside. The first was one of Biscuiteer's Jolly Gingers range, not named after me unfortunately, but their extensive selection of gingerbread people, which come in a variety of professions, sports people, costumes and occasions. Mine was, appropriately, a special pride edition Jolly Ginger, waving a rainbow flag. The second was a set of five pencil-shaped biscuits, decorated in bright primary colours, and each iced with my name, personalisation being one of Biscuiteer's biggest selling points. Pencil's just one of dozens of shapes on offer, 
Like the Jolly Gingers, the range is huge and takes in all sorts of hobbies, life events, sports, seasonal occasions, flowers, animals and some popular characters like Mr Men, Beatrix Potter and Paddington. Last but not least was one of their birthday cake-shaped cookies, iced with Happy Birthday Hue and intricately decorated right down to tiny piped candles, a little edible work of art. I'm very familiar with Biscuiteers as I've been buying gifts from them for years, being lucky enough to live near one of their two shops, or as they call them, icing cafes in Battersea, the other being in Notting Hill. My husband and I like to give each other one of their personalised biscuits for birthdays, Valentine's Day anniversaries and the like. Being soppy buggers, we like to have them iced with one of our many pet names for each other, and it's to the staff's enormous credit that they don't bat an eyelid at being asked to pipe. Well, actually, that's between them and us, but they're brilliant at what they do. If you can get to one of the two icing cafes, I'd highly recommend it, because as retail experiences go, they're pretty hard to beat. Not only is the entire incredible edible range enticingly on display, but the staff are always supremely welcoming, and as the name Icing Cafe suggests, you can both enjoy a coffee and cake while you're there, or indeed book yourself or a friend in for an icing masterclass. If you can't get to the icing cafes, though, you'll find their website, biscuiteers.com, a joy to browse. It's beautifully designed in the same aesthetic style as the cafes. The photography shows off the entire range, which, as well as biscuits, includes chocolates, cakes, macarons and more perfectly. And it's very easy to navigate. I've also found their delivery times, including next day, even for personalised items if you order early enough, to be 100% reliable. Now, as you might imagine, handmade, hand-baked, hand-iced biscuits and the like don't come cheap. A Jolly Ginger is about £7, a personalised birthday cake cookie is about 11 and one of their wonderful tins of themed biscuits, nine or ten differently shaped iced biscuits in a smart pattern reusable tin, is between 35 and £45. But for both the amount of skill that goes into making them and the sheer joy experienced by any recipient I've ever sent them to, or indeed by me when I've been the lucky recipient, I think they represent excellent value for money. So next time you're looking for a present for someone, whether to mark a birthday or anniversary, to congratulate them on an achievement or milestone, or just to tell them that you love them, instead of flowers or champagne, have a look at Biscuiteers and see if something from their exquisite range could really take the biscuit. Visit the website at Biscuiteers, that's B-I-S-C-U-I-T-E-E-R-S dot com. And if you give my name, Hugh Smithson Wright, when you check out, or use the link in the show notes, you'll get 15% off your first order, and I'll receive a referral reward to spend on more lovely biscuits. Just before I go, I'd like to ask that if you're in a position to, you'll consider supporting one of the many brilliant charities working tirelessly to ensure that children, disadvantaged families and the homeless don't go hungry during the pandemic, such as Magic Breakfast, Fair Share, Street Smart and the Trussell Trust. That's it for this week. Thanks ever so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, you can tweet me at hrwright or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. And I hope you'll join me next week for more of Hugh's Joy of Food.